On this episode, we discuss Haley Atwell joining Mission Impossible, Discord ending games, LastPass having a bug, and we both get super excited over Apple TV+. Plus. Plus, Chris and I make it a true Android cast as we chat about all the things we love and hate about Android 10. This and more in this week's show. I'm Michelle Ely from the Starling Tribune, an Arrow TV show fan podcast, part of the Gunna Geek Network, just like the show you're checking out now. Shows on the network are individually owned, and opinions expressed may not reflect others. Find other amazing geeky shows at GunnaGeekNetwork.com. This is the official GunnaGeek.com show. Each week, we run down the latest news and happenings in the world of geek. These are your hosts for the show, Steven, Chris, and SP. Welcome to an all-new episode of the official GunnaGeek.com show. I am Stephen John Drew, and I am pleased to say that Chris Farrell is here again with me this week. Hello, Chris! I'm here under protest until I get a sweet mixer account like Steven. <laughs> Followers of one. Yes, uh, Chris and I are here <laughs> this week, and we're pleased to say that we're going to keep the show on going even though we were rejected by all sorts of guests this week, they all said, well, I heard that Steven's going to be there, so let's go ahead and uh, cancel. That's a good reason not to. I mean, I almost canceled too, and I don't really have a good excuse. It was just I didn't want to do it. I mean, what? I, I want to do this. I love talking to Steven each week. He didn't have to pressure me by saying I wouldn't get paid if I didn't show it. Wait, I don't get paid. No, it's... It- it's not true. It's not true, by the way. We were not canceled on by all sorts of guests. It's true that Chris doesn't want to podcast with me. That is that is true. Because I'm broke. I do want to say, actually, that next week we're going to go ahead and carry on our tradition. We're looking forward to this. We're going to have Michelle Ely join us as the season kicks off. The TV season really starts to kick off. And uh, Michelle's going to help us run down a bunch of the upcoming premieres. And we're going to talk about what's exciting and what we're looking forward to and Things that I'm probably going to get wrong, like I did with Inhumans. So please come back next week for that. That's going to be a lot of fun to have Michelle back to talk about all of that. Chris Farrell, how excited for you are in Human Season 2? Uh, you know, it's going to be on Disney+, Plus, so you could rewatch it to your heart's content if you want, Stephen. Yes, Disney+, Plus will have Inhumans. So if you missed it, i.e. you were one of the smart ones. You can watch it on Disney Plus or just watch all the great 90s cartoons they're going to have. Don't watch Inhumans. <laughs> Don't do it. Look what it did to Steven. He's never been the same since he watched Inhumans. Never. I agree. I 100% agree. It was terrible. It was garbage. And I can't believe that I once was excited for it. <laughs> He's traumatized by it. Like if you say the word Inhumans enough times, his right eye starts to twitch. See, I rest my case. Those of you on audio are missing Steven wink at me a lot because his right eye is twitching like crazy. Let's go ahead and start off this week by talking about something that we're all super excited for, right? I know we've both been looking forward to this for so, so long. Aren't we, Chris Farrell? Uh, no. I'm going to talk about Apple TV+. Plus. In case you missed it, <laughs> Apple recently had an event. It was this past week. They had an event. And 
they announced the pricing for Apple TV+. Plus. Now, this is something that has been talked about for a little while, and it's something that uh, people weren't sure how much it was going to be. People weren't sure what the offerings were going to be, but we knew it was coming. We knew there was going to be a new service coming from Apple, and sure enough, it was announced, and it's going to be $4.99 American, and I believe it's $5.99 Canadian. Offerings off the top of my head of the new shows include... Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's my point right there is they've, they've got some shows that are coming to it. There's not going to be back catalogs. There, there's going to be originals and things like that, as you would expect from a service that is being custom made by a company. But there's not been a ton of hype. There's been buzz information about who's going to be in them. Very brief synopses, but not a lot of information. And so this is something that a, a lot of people right now are questioning whether or not they want to go ahead and subscribe because there's not a lot of offerings. Like with Disney, it's obvious. They said, well, you're going to have the big Disney back catalog. You're going to have all of these cool shows that are coming out. But with the Apple TV Plus, there's not been a lot of information. But we do have a price, and that price is pretty affordable. But the question is, are you going to watch the content? Because to me, even at $4.99 a month, if you're only watching one show, is it worth $4.99 a month, or do you wait and binge it? Well, and the real problem is right now, the only devices this is currently on, I believe, is Apple devices. They are supposedly bringing the Apple TV app to Roku and some Samsung TVs. Actually, some of those Samsung TVs might have it. But right now, there's only on Apple devices and Apple products with a coming soon on other stuff. So you kind of got to go, I don't know if this is worth it. And you know, Stephen, we're not the only ones that are kind of scratching our heads and doubting it. Now, full disclosure, Stephen and I, we're converted from Apple, and we have been known to take shots at Apple and Android and everyone alike, but some people might call us Apple haters. <laughs> I, I will embrace that banner. I will own it. If that's what you want to call me, feel free. But like I was saying, we're not the only folks that have concerns. There was a story I was reading. I can't remember what entertainment website it was, but that uh, Apple Plus was trying to sign. Let's go for a callback here. J.J. Abrahams, if anyone gets that callback. <laughs> yes. Uh, we're, this is a deep, deep cut. We're going back years to the fanboy buzz. But J.J. Abrams and Bad Robot, his uh, production company, were supposedly uh, in discussion with Apple to sign an exclusive contract with Apple Plus to make entertainment for them. I believe he signed a deal with Warner Brothers since then. But I believe the deal was rumored to be $500 million with Apple Plus. And he said no. And there were two reasons this dirt sheet quoted, and I say dirt sheet because that's what a lot of these things are called in like pro wrestling business. It's not me being dismissive of it. Number one, the fact that distribution was problematic because they wanted to lock him in so that all his content was exclusive to Apple Plus, meaning if he produced a movie, no run in theaters. It would only be on Apple Plus. You could buy it on iTunes. You could watch it on Apple Plus, but there's no chance to see it on the big screen. And number two, Supposedly, J.J. Uh, Abrams and his production company were disappointed with what they had seen in all of the Apple press events in regards to Apple Plus because it was underwhelming is what had been reported. So I don't feel so bad that I'm of similar mind. I've I've looked at these Apple events for Apple TV Plus and gone, huh, they want to make Netflix or they want to make Hulu, but it's not really super enticing. There's a few shows. There's not a ton of stuff that I care about necessarily. And there's no back catalog. So what's the motivation for the monthly cost? And I will give them credit. The $4.99 a month US 
that's a good price. That's a solid price point. But once you do the math, like Stephen mentioned, they kind of have to because what are you paying for? There's not a ton of shows at launch. Now, there's a lot of promise. They've put a bunch of money in, like supposedly, what is it, one or two billion dollars they've put in? Now, side note, Netflix spent $12 billion on content in 2018. So there's a bit of a difference, but that's just for perspective's sake. I don't think there's anything I want yet. And I'll watch and see and maybe subscribe every uh, year or so for a month and binge anything that's interesting. But right now, how do you compete with the buzz that Disney has with Disney Plus? And yes, I'm a Marvel and I'm a Star Wars fanboy and I'm a homer for them. But if you signed up for Disney Plus when they were running the deal, it's basically $3.92 a month, I think is what the math was. I'm getting a lot more bang for my buck with three years of Disney Plus at four bucks a month than I am at Apple TV Plus for $4.99 a month. That's not to say two years from now we might not change our tune, but right now, yeah. I agree, Chris. And you know, the whole, I think, idea of being excited for something right now ahead of time comes down to the fact that Disney is able to go and offer those deals where people are spending three years up front. They didn't offer that in Canada. I would have seriously considered it if they did offer it in Canada. But Apple, if they were to go and do that right now, I don't know if anybody would do it because we just don't know. There's not been a ton of content. There are people that would do it, Steve. I guess. And I don't say this dismissively. It's not my intent when I say this, but Apple fanboys will say that nothing Apple can do is wrong. And fanboys of anything say that. So please don't take me as trying to slight people who are considered Apple fanboys. But there's stuff out there where they'll just, if Apple's stickers on it, they've bought into the cult of personality revolving around it. And they say, it's got to be the greatest thing ever. And it's interesting because I'm subscribed to the Apple TV subreddit on Reddit because I have an Apple TV upstairs. So I could theoretically subscribe to Apple TV Plus. And there's a lot of people in there that are just falling all over themselves. Like, oh, this price point is great. I can't wait to do it. But none of them can answer, okay, you want to spend your money, but what are you going to watch? Yeah. Apple TV Plus, it seems slightly underwhelming. And then you don't hear anything about their arcade stuff they're putting out for like iOS devices and Apple TVs. That's more interesting. Where all you can eat games, basically. That's far more interesting and compelling product that I think is more fleshed out. But everyone's kind of lost on Apple TV and it's Apple versus Disney and versus Netflix. Uh, Apple's on their own tier with this right now. And they've got to build up to be considered in that. You can't even put Disney Plus on the same level of Netflix yet. Now, I'm not being dismissive. They haven't launched. You can't compare them until you have a chance to interface with them. I agree. I 100% agree. I don't think that they're anywhere near being comparative. Comparable, that would be the right word, comparable to the others. And uh, I think you nailed it. I absolutely think you nailed it. Now, if we want to go and check out the poll, yes, we do run polls live while we stream this on Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern. We like to run polls as we go live. Our chat room uh, has answered 33% of them say they don't think they're going to get it. And 67% said they won't get it. And uh, nobody said that they would get it. So that's just our live chat that we've got there at geeks.live. But not really that surprising. I think we might see some of that shift once some of these shows come out because they might be high caliber shows and we might have people who are willing to do it, even if it's during the summer months or something like that when their regular scheduled programming isn't available 
or whatever. You might see some people, a couple cord cutters go and, and get it for a couple months, binge some stuff, and then cancel it. Who knows? We'll see what happens. So one thing we did bury on this, we should have mentioned, and I apologize, and we can transition off, is what is kind of cool for the subscription is that if you buy a new iOS device or new Apple TV during, I think, now until they launch, you get a free year of Apple TV+. Plus. So that's an interesting way to get people in and trying the service and then convert people. So that is kind of cool. And remember, there are a bunch of people that buy a new iPhone every year. And if they keep doing that, then it's basically it's just a service tacked onto your iPhone that you get for free. That's cool. That's compelling. And that's interesting. And that might be a way you get people to go, oh, I kind of like some of these shows. Maybe I am willing to shell out for this and then kind of become your evangelist that sing your praises to others. The other thing that you should definitely consider is the fact that um, there wasn't much other exciting things that happened this past week from Apple. No other notable mm-hmm. announcements at all. No new iPhones or anything like that announced. No, no, none. 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 Definitely not uh, the new iPhone 11 announced. That definitely didn't happen. And No products um, with Wi-Fi 6 on them. None yeah, at all. No, nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. Uh, Chris, do you want to go ahead and touch on that since you are the Apple fanboy here? Why don't you go ahead and touch on that quick? <laughs> I am the Apple fanboy, and I have not read up much on the iPhone <laughs> 11. And what is it? The Pro and the Pro. There's three different tiers of them. Yeah. Honestly, and I'm I'm not BSing you guys right now. I haven't even looked at anything on the new iPhones just because I'm exhausted when it comes to new cell phones as it is because all they ever do is change the cameras around and say, we're going to do more for privacy. Uh, okay. Why do I want a camera that has three lenses on the back of it? I, I don't care that much. I did see a commercial with that, and I went, Huh. I guess Pixel is doing the same thing with leaked Pixel 4. So this is the new thing. Notches on displays and four cameras on the back of your phone. Because why not? You know, I forget what it's called, but there's people who are actually getting freaked out. Like there's a there's a symptom where if they see a bunch of like holes together, like it gives them like this this phobia sort of thing. And it's there's an actual term for it. And there are people who are actually feeling this. Because of the amount of close lenses together, Google it. I forget what it's called. It's like, I think it's TRY something or another phobia. If you put in iPhone triphobia, I think that'll probably show up there. But yeah, pretty, uh, pretty interesting to see more lenses on there. I, I firmly believe that even with like other manufacturers going to come into this multi lens thing and whatnot. I think in five years, we're going to look back on this and laugh. I think we're going to have pared back down just to maybe a couple solid lenses because lenses do different things. And I think if you want a widescreen, I don't think you'll ever fully get the same quality from a a regular frame and a wide frame. So I think you might end up back to two. I think we're going to see lenses explode, go back down, and we're going to laugh our butts off. That's my prediction. I don't think you're wrong. But so the question I would have for you is, Stephen, you've got kids, so you're more apt to be taking phone photos a lot more often of your kids, things your kids are doing, stuff like that. Have you ever gone, oh man, I wish I had a telephoto lens or extra wide lens for that quick picture you're trying to take when your kids are doing something cool? I don't see where general users can be like, oh my God, I have to have this great ultra wide photo. Sure, it'll be great to try it once or twice, but who cares long term? My dad just bought the uh, Xiaomi um, 5, the Mi 5, and Mm -hmm. he was over showing that to me the other day, and it's got a widescreen on there. I've never owned a phone that has a widescreen lens, and I used it to take a picture. I'm like, oh, that's kind of cool. You can go ahead and pretty much take all of my living room in one photo. And that, <laughs> that was pretty much the extent of my interest in it, because like, 
I've never really needed it. I, I, I guess if I was traveling and I was going to a lot of scenic places, maybe. But for day to day, I don't need it. And I've been very happy with and I'll give them credit too with what Google and um, Apple, like I said, I'll give them credit too, have been able to do by enhancing the photos in the last couple of years. Google started off by really showing what could be done with software and Apple's followed suit and so is Samsung. And I think that I don't need the widescreen. I don't need the extra lenses. So we'll see. I think we'll look back and laugh unless we just have an entire back of lenses and maybe in 10 years, it'll be all lens. You can't hold it anywhere but the side. It's, it's remember three the uh, three hundred sixty degree camera craze was going on for a while too, and that has thankfully also died. You're like here's an attachment you clip on your phone, you can take three hundred sixty degree photos. And I was like, why? <laughs> what is the purpose other than just do one and be like, huh? That's kind of cool, and never use it again. By the way, tripophobia is an aversion to the sight of irregular patterns or clusters of small holes or bumps. It is not officially recognized as a mental disorder, but may fall under the broad category of specific phobia if fear is involved and the fear is excessive and distressing. So that's tripophobia, T-R-Y-P-O-P-H-O-B-I-A, tripophobia. There you go. Hmm. Moving on to the next news point here. Chris Farrell's going to give us a more at well. That's true. We're going to geek out a little bit. It's a short story, but uh, Haley Atwell, who you all might know as Peggy Carter from the Captain America films, crossover and Avengers, things like that. She's had a pretty active career, done a bunch of different things, but a lot of us comic book nerds will always think of her first as Peggy Carter. Well, she has signed on for a new gig. She will be in the upcoming Mission Impossible 7 and 8. She did confirm her involvement on her own Instagram, so she'll be showing up for the film directed by Christopher McQuarrie, starring Tom Cruise and recent series regular Rebecca Ferguson. And you know what? I'll say something controversial. Mission Impossible might be one of the best franchises out there right now <gasps> that nobody talks about at the same time, though, because they're quality movies, quality stunts, quality effects they do, and they're just fun. And they kind of knock them out of the park every time. And I would imagine this is pretty awesome career wise for Haley Atwell to be, hey, I've got a two-picture deal to be in on this. That's awesome. It's going to open a bunch more doors as more and more people become aware of who I am. So I'm excited. I can't wait to see whether she's good guy, bad guy, something in between. I don't know. Haley Atwell is delightful. I just hope they let her use her British accent for it versus some TV show she had here in the States where they made her use an American accent. And I was like, this doesn't compute. What is going on? Why would you take her awesome accent and change it to American? Stop it. Why? It's bad. I remember that. Yeah, that was, uh, it was, it was, was, what, a what was the name of that show? Conviction, I think. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah. I think I watched an episode and shut it off. Yeah. Oh. Okay, so here's the thing about Mission Impossible. I have not watched Mission Impossible since like oh. two. Uh, I, I always say I want to go ahead. That's arguably the worst in the series, <laughs> is too. That's probably why I stopped. Um, <laughs> I, but I, I do want to go back and watch. I've seen pieces of other ones here and there, you know, and I think I might have watched half of one of them later when it was on TV or something like that. But how many are there now? Six. And then this is seven and eight coming next. And one of the things that's really cool about it and why I'd encourage you to give them a check out is the stunt scenes they put together are really cool because Tom Cruise is one of the producers on it. And so he's what, like 52, 55, something like that incredible shape and stuff like that now but 
oftentimes like, no, no, you need to use a stunt double. He's like, well, I'm one of the producers, so I'm going to do this stunt. And like for the halo jump that he did, that uh, his character did in the most recent Mission Impossible, like he went and trained for six months to go and do a halo jump. So the halo jump you see where Ethan Hunt is falling out of the sky, it's not a stunt double. It's actually Tom Cruise who took six months learning how to do halo jumps and worked with the camera crew so they could choreograph this and do this in like two takes. I mean, it's incredible the commitment to the action scenes there are, regardless of how you feel about Tom Cruise's skills as an actor or anything like that. His commitment to doing these crazy stunts is incredible. I 100% agree, even though I have not watched. This is something that I have kept my finger on the pulse of all of these stunt type things that he does. And it's very impressive. It is truly impressive that he is willing to do that. Such a high profile person, someone who doesn't ever need to touch anywhere near anything unsafe ever. And he does it like the whole uh, helicopter one. I think it was in the last one. Or is it this one where he trained to actually fly a freaking helicopter? He and Keanu Reeves, they're in their 50s and they both do incredible, incredible stunts and take beatings on set. Like Tom Cruise broke it was his leg or his ankle in the last one because he was like jumping between buildings and he mistimed the jump and landed and broke, like I said, either leg or an ankle. Keanu Reeves is getting hit by cars. He's going to the gun ranges and doing mm-hmm. his own training for John Wick to actually show like he knows how to handle these firearms, how to do evasive driving and stuff like that. This commitment to badass action scenes it's really something you can appreciate and it's a lot of fun which by the way i should just point out that uh we'll give ourselves credit here we do our own stunts here on the guineageek.com show like if it's i true. go and i'm gonna go and punch chris farrell in the face to, through his frame he's actually doing it I, I, if i do it he's actually he, wrong way chris farrell for the audio listener he he went the wrong way but uh yeah we do our own we do stunts things here. backwards going between <laughs> canada and the united states it's internet reverse polarity <sighs> yeah we we do our own stunts here um because we don't do stunts because we're lazy that's what we are here on the guineageek.com show is lazy so if i go to the poll which was asking whether or not people still watch mission impossible we had 33 percent say yes say no. So apparently Mission Impossible is not popular with our live audience. Guys are missing out. It's a lot of fun. I'm going to binge. I've said that before on this show. I am going to find them and binge them sometime. I I will. You should commit me to that. Somehow hold me accountable, Chris Farrell. That's your responsibility. How am I supposed to do that? I don't know. Figure it out. (laughs) This sounds like work, and you just talked about how lazy we were. <laughs> you want me to do work. Moving on to the next news point here. It looks like Discord is giving up on one of their little programs that they've got going on here. If you didn't know this, Discord is a chat community. It started out really heavily game-based, and a lot of people have taken to that for other purposes. We even have our own Gonna Geek Discord server, essentially a little section within the discord communities where we have our own little community going on with different channels and whatnot and we've got a lot of people over there a lot of fun happening if you want to check that out you can it's uh, gunnageek.com slash discord but they have other things in there that they do offer and one of the things was that there was a discord nitro subscription gaming platform that they were offering people where they could go and they could subscribe and end up having access to over 100 titles, including a whole bunch that I hadn't ever heard of, such as Super Meat Boy. Chris Farrell, was that your favorite one, Super Meat Boy? It's actually a pretty fun game. Was it? 
Yeah. Oh, okay. And they are ending it. They've announced that they're going to go ahead and shut down Nitro Games next month as there's not enough players taking advantage of the library of games. So they're going to go ahead and end that subscription off offering. And it's not really a surprise because let's be honest here, there's probably not that many people and the whole subscription games thing some bigger players coming into that whole model and you might as well get out before you lose too much money. Uh, I'm not surprised because of the fact either that Discord is such a chat community. I don't think you probably see a lot of people going over there for other content and other offerings. So this is not a shock to me at all. Although apparently Chris was a big Super Meat Boy fan. Well, I mean, I bought it on Steam at one point in time, I think when it was on Steam sale for like 49 cents so i've played it for like 10 minutes maybe it's pretty good i just it's the problem with steam games is i buy them and then forget because there's so many of them and yeah i'm a bad gamer i'm a casual gamer now guys i fully admit it oh no casual gamer next thing you know you're gonna do something silly like go and buy a sony playstation 4 yeah who would do that (laughs) real a-hole that's who Uh, chris farrell do you discord much uh, not as much as I should, uh, but yes, I do do Discord for the Gunna Geek community, but also, like I talked about in a previous Chris Taps That App segment, I use Discord for Pokemon Go raids because we coordinate a lot of our raids locally on Discord using the Meowth bot. Oh, the Meow bot. Is that what's just a, a bot that just goes meow? The Meowth. No, it's Meowth. It's a Pokemon. Oh, Meow bot. Gotcha. Just all cats mm. all the time. Is that It's just meows and sends cat gifts all the time. <laughs> We did run a poll right now while we were talking, and it's split down the middle. Not a lot of people use Discord. It's 33% saying they use it daily, 33% say occasionally, and 33% say never. So obviously, our Gonna Geek Discord community does not appeal to our Gonna Geek live audience. <laughs> Oops. Uh, there is actually a lot of fun in that, so please check that out. Let's go on to the next news point here, which is Chris going to go ahead and inflict panic on us all. Well, I don't consider it necessarily inflicting panic, but more making people aware that there has been an issue. So there is a a password manager out there. It's one of the more popular ones called LastPass. I know a lot of folks that use it so that they can capture all their passwords, use it to generate secure passwords for different websites and make it a lot easier for logging into things. Well, LastPass just patched a bug that could have allowed malicious websites to extract a previous password entered by the service's browser extension. ZDNet had the background and said it was discovered by Tavis Ormandi, a researcher in the Google Project Zero team. It was disclosed in a bug report dated back in August 29th. Now, the good news is LastPass has fixed this issue as of September 13th and deployed an update to all browsers, and it should be applied automatically. Now, Go be smart. Make sure your browser extensions have been updated just in case. So how'd this bug work? How'd this bug work, rather? It worked by luring users onto a website, a malicious one, and fooling the browser extension to use a password from a previously visited website. Ormandi notes that attackers could use a service like Google Translate to disguise a malicious URL and then trick vulnerable users into visiting a rogue site. Now, LastPass did say the update should be applied automatically. Like I mentioned, you should check that. It was patched with the version 4.33.0 of the browser extensions. LastPass says it should only be the Chrome and Opera browsers 
that were affected by this bug, but they did deploy the same patch to all browsers as a precaution. So you should be safe now. Now the question is, how big a problem was it actually? So LastPass did put a statement on their company blog, kind of downplaying the severity of the bug. I'm kind of okay with how they did so. The company's security engineering manager by the name of Frenet Kun said the exploit relied on a user visiting a malicious site and being tricked into clicking on the page several times. Ormandi, who found the bug for the Google team, nevertheless gave the bug a high severity rating. The bug was responsibly disclosed to LastPass before made, being made public, and there's absolutely no evidence that exploit was ever deployed on the web. So everything happened the way it was supposed to here. Someone found a bug, they reported it to the uh, creator here, LastPass. LastPass fixed it, issued patches, and then they were able to discuss and say, hey, here was the problem that we had with this that was a potential issue. This is the way you want this handled all the time. Issue found, issue fixed, then we discuss it in public, know what the problem was so that other people can alter their security accordingly or prepare themselves to go, oh crap, did I go to some website that seemed weird and I put my credentials in? If so, change those passwords, update your extensions. This is important stuff, especially if you're using a password manager that is basically the keys to the kingdom to your digital life. Yeah, uh, this is always good to hear in a weird way because it shows that the company is being aware of these things and acting on them very quickly. And I think that that's really important if you have a password manager out there, because let's be totally real. There's probably not a single password manager out there that hasn't at some point had a bug or a compromise of some form. So, or a potential compromise. And when they're keeping close about it, then you don't really know whether or not they're updating. And so this is actually almost reassuring in some ways that they are acting accordingly. And, you know, I think people always have to question, is there a higher likelihood that your account's going to be hacked because you're using a password manager or hacked because you're using the same password across a whole bunch of sites? And for me, it's always the latter that loses. Like you're, you're always, always going to end up having a higher chance, in my opinion, a higher chance if you're using the same password or a basic password on multiple sites, because if all of a sudden one of those sites get compromised, now they're going to go and try it on maybe your email. And if it lets you in there, then they'll go into your email and they'll go, okay, well, let's look at all these other emails that they're getting in all these other places. And then they'll try there. So I think that you're probably safe for using a password manager, but I do encourage anybody that uses a password manager to use some safety with it. Let it expire if you keep logged in, use two-factor authentication, do a whole bunch of extra safeguards to try to help really offer more protection. Obviously, those things wouldn't have helped in this situation, but I think it's just good practice if you're using a password manager myself. Right. And don't, I would not take this issue in the correction of it as being, oh my God, I shouldn't use LastPass. Because like I said, everything happened the way it's supposed to happen here. They did everything in their dude in their due diligence to fix the problem once it was brought before them and ensure nothing negative came out of it. If I were a LastPass subscriber, I would have no problem continuing to be a LastPass subscriber. Over at Geeks.Live, we did ask the question, do you use a password manager? And we gave the options of yes, and I'll keep using it. Yes, but I may stop using it. Or, and I don't use a password manager. And we had 75% say that they will keep using it. And 25% said they don't use the password manager. So there you go. 
If you want to go ahead and argue with those results, don't. Uh, moving on to the next news point here in our extra extra. Chris had some Pokemon Go news. That's right. Uh, there was a brief mention of Pokemon Go earlier. And yes, Kent, I know I owe you a gift in Pokemon Go, so I'll probably send one to you in the next day or so. But when I took my lunch break today, I saw a news story and I've been able to confirm it myself. Pokemon Go has added Gen 5 Pokemon to the game as of today, September 16th. The next generation of Pokemon originate from the Anova region. They are originally the ones that debuted in Pokemon Black and White. They have started spawning in the wild, appearing in raids, and hatching from eggs. So I know I play, I know Kent plays, I know Suncast plays, and I know Steven might have played at one point in time. This is kind of cool because it means we've got more Pokemon to catch and different ones. And if you're someone like me who's been playing a lot, you're not seeing a lot of weird new Pokemon. This is a good chance to catch more stuff. So the new ones appearing in the wild are Snivy, Tepig, Oshawott, Patrick, Lillipup, Purloin, Pidov, and Bil Bitsley. I might have screwed that up. Patra and Lillipup can also appear in shiny form. There are Pokemon coming to the gym that are exclusive from this new gen. I don't have their names yet. So keep your eyes peeled. You can probably start catching some of these Pokemon now. I've caught a couple Lillipups already today. So new experience bonuses. You know, I stopped playing when I caught my Chris Pup. Uh, that was my favorite one, my Chris Farrell Pup. Actually, I think it was I can't the full blame name. You. Yeah. You know, at that point, you've pretty much caught them all once you've caught something from Chris. And lastly, in our extra extra, let's just give a little shout out to an article here that the one wonderful Suncast linked us up with earlier today offline. Suncast, by the way, he uh, likes to follow all sorts of techie news and sometimes. That's Canadian techie news. The long story short of this is that there is a premium television network called the Super Channel, and they have filed a lawsuit against four Canadian retailers for allegedly selling, quote, pirate devices, end quote, and educating customers on how to use them to watch TV without paying for it. This was unveiled through a court document that says that Super Channel is accusing Best Buy, Staples, Canada Computers, and London Drugs of copyright infringement, claiming that the employees were urging customers to pirate online content using streaming devices that were sold in store. The four retailers are, uh, are accused of contributing to the creation of a culture of widespread infringement and theft, end quote, and that was alleged in this filing by the Super Channel. Now, you might say to yourself, okay, that's a lot of talk. It's a lot of hot air coming out. But what's really interesting about this, and you should go ahead and check this out, is they did an undercover investigation. This was over the course of, I want to say it was like a year or so. And they hired a bunch of PIs to go. There's been apparently more than 100 hours of undercover video filmed and gathered where they've gone to different locations and seen employees sell these Android boxes, which in themselves are not illegal, but there are apps that are illegal that can be put on there. And apparently there are a lot of employees that were educating people on how to get those apps. And so this will be an interesting thing to follow, in my opinion, because I look at it from the perspective of big company and little people. And and I think you're probably going to find the buck is mostly going to stop. This is my guess. The buck's going to stop at the little employee. They're going to get fired for being on these tapes and educating it. 
there might be a little bit of something in goodwill given out, settled by the big companies because of some form of like, did you have accurate practices? You know, that sort of BS. But I'm interested to see if the companies themselves will actually have to settle because they weren't the ones that were committing the fraud. They were educating on it. But are they the ones that are actually going to get punished in this? I think that for sure, people who are on this are going to get fired left, right and center because the company kind of has to if they have a company that or if they have evidence of an employee giving illegal information, it looks bad if they don't go and take action. Like, that's my guess. But you know what this illegal information is? Hey, go on Google and look (laughs) up how to put this channel on my insert device name here. I mean, this happened in Mexico three or four years ago where the Mexican government made them stop selling Roku's because people could put private channels on Roku's that were full of a bunch of pirated content, be it illegal. And actually, in this case, it was illegal soccer games is what was happening is people were putting up Roku channels that broadcast these soccer games. And so they had to shut them down. So they figured it out. Look, there's always going to be a way for pirates to do things. It's always going to be out there. These employees, I kind of wonder what it was the extent they did. Honestly, my guess is they probably said, yes, there's all sorts of services you could use that do these kind of things, but you also have these channels that are baked in. And let's be honest, if someone wants to pirate, it's not because the dude in Best Buy tells them about how to do it or the dude in Staples tells them. It's because they go, I don't want to pay for that because I don't want to give my money to it or I'm cheap. So they'll go online and figure out a way to find it. I have not had a chance to watch the full video because just with timing after work and stuff, I skipped a little bit through it. And there are a couple employees, at least that I saw in that clip, that were actually educating on the service name saying like, these are the ones that you can go to. And so they were taking it a little bit into the whole level, at least what I saw of actually giving names and, and in my opinion, educating on a service. And again, if you're sitting there wearing a Best Buy or a Staples badge, you're representing the company. And so that's why I think the company might take action on some of these people, because probably in the corporate literature, in the employee handbook, it says we do, you know, we don't stand for illegal activities. So I think that's why I think you'll probably see a bunch of employees fired out of this. That's fair. But let's play devil's advocate here. Not even devil's advocate. Let's break down the numbers a little bit. Are you really trying to argue that because employee X works at Best Buy or some other company here and he sold 27 streaming device sticks in the last quarter and told maybe half of those people, here's different piracy, here's different apps you could use that might be piracy, that that's what's spreading piracy rampant? (laughs) Come on, come on. The the whole premise of this complaint is ridiculous in the fact that there's a few employees that teach people how to use these apps. Okay, there's a lot more people that use Google and say, how do I watch this for free on device X? Yeah, I, I'm not arguing that. I'm just arguing where I think this is going to go. Because I, th- like I said, I think there could possibly be some form of goodwill settlement of some form. But I, I don't know. It would be interesting to see you know, what the courts uphold or anything like that or the regulatory bodies or whatever it is. But if you want to go ahead and check out the CBC article, you can go to geeks.link slash badcanadians. And in there, there is a link to the um, video, which, again, I haven't had a chance to fully watch. I I just think it'll be interesting to follow and see what happens at the end of all of this. And quite honestly, if you bought one of these boxes, you shouldn't have because they probably went really, really end of life quick. Most of those Android boxes end up being abandoned 
and they've done their own sort of modifications to the software. You can't keep updating it, and then you can't get apps without doing more side loading, which brings other questionable things. What's on it? So don't if you're gonna buy an Android box, not to torrent, not to do bad things like for streaming your photos or whatever. Spend a little money on one that's supported, for God's sakes. <laughs> like, come on. Or a Fire Stick. Fire Sticks are, are, might work for you. They might work. Or a Roku Stick. Or a Roku Stick, too. Go ahead, check that out at geeks.link slash badcanadians. And don't use your device for bad things. That's our official stance here on the gunnageek.com show. Let's go ahead and move on to a version of Steven's geeky stuff. Should we do that? Let's do it. All right. This week on the show, we're going to quickly touch about a new version of Android. This is exciting because a few weeks ago, Android came out a couple weeks ago, actually. Android 10 came out and Chris was very quick to point out that he had access to download it. He messaged me pretty much right away saying, hey, look, everybody's talking. It's out. And then a few minutes later, he went, look, I can get it to which I looked and I could not get it. But well, you, you know why we can get it so quickly. Why? Because we're Pixel Buddies. Oh, that's true. We are Pixel Buddies. I have a phone and so do you. Look at that. It's a Pixel 2. That makes us Pixel Buddies for life. Some of the music heard was by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. God, I love that book. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, uh, Chris had that. I could not get that. But this past weekend, I was actually on the phone with my dad. Actually, it was late last week. And he, he, again, I he's got a Xiaomi 5. And I'm like, I bet you can't get it right away. And he's like, can you? And I'm like, no, I can't. And <laughs> so then I actually did the force update, the force check. And sure enough, I could get it. So I was obviously getting close to getting it pushed out. I was... You know, they always roll out these things slowly, and I must have been one of the next set. So when I manually checked, I was able to get it. And I thought it was a good opportunity for us to talk a little bit about some of the new features that came to this, some of the changes, and whether Chris and I like it. Because again, we both are Pixel users, which means we've already got this. And so in theory, we as Pixel users should have the upper tier, quote, of experience because we should have all of these features eligible for us as Pixel users. If you look at other devices like Samsung's, they don't always roll out all the features or they modify them. So let's talk a little bit about this. And we'll start off talking a little bit about some of the things that we like. And I know one of the things that we both really like is dark mode. In the past, Android has slowly rolled out dark mode to some different apps like the Messages app, the YouTube app, even Google Keep had it, but there was never really a comprehensive cross-device dark mode. This finally came out with Android 10. It's nice that they have done this because it is uniform across pretty much everything that supports it. It is there. It's in your settings. It's uh, pretty much all of the Android menus. Dark mode is finally here. Chris, how excited were you for this? Oh, I love it. Now, we kind of jury-rigged it a bit with Android Pie because until they put out like one of the iterative updates on that, if you had a dark wallpaper, it basically forced a dark mode for the launcher and things like that. So I had done that before just to get darker in that regard. And any app that supported dark mode, I had turned on. 
But this dark mode is awesome. It turns the notification tray, the launcher, the background, the app icons and stuff dark. I like dark mode when I'm working on things at work. I like it on my computer at home. I like it on my cell phone. I wish I had it on my iPad because it is less eye strain. But the best thing is any app that supports dark mode, if you've enabled dark mode in the system settings on Android 10, it turns it on. Now, where it gets ironic is Google hasn't built dark mode into some other apps yet. So <laughs> it's glaringly obvious sometimes when you when you open, say, Gmail, and you're like, oh, my eyes, it hurts because it's bright white. With material design, there's a lot of white space on screen. So it's very noticeable. Now, Google has said they're working on rolling dark mode out to all their native apps. And I do like how they've implemented it in the calendar, for instance. So I'm looking forward to seeing it. But yes, dark mode, it's something that a lot of us have been clamoring for. And I love it. I don't have to jury rig my phone to make everything not hurt my eyes. And it looks good, too. Like the notification tray, it, it doesn't look like just a whole bunch of black. Whatever they've done, um, the way they've designed it, it looks really sharp. And I'm very happy to finally have this. And allegedly, it's supposed to be better for battery life. We'll come back to that. What do you got on your list there, Chris? Because I think we're both pretty aligned with your next item. Oh, so this is something I really liked. I finally got to see it in practice after reading about it. But one of the things they have made a big deal about with Android 10 is security, specifically permissions when it comes to location activities or location checks on your devices. So once you upgrade to Android 10, you'll often have applications that you know use your GPS, like Facebook, or Pokemon Go, or your local pizza delivery app and stuff. And it makes sense because they need to know where you are to try and give an address. But where it gets a little trickier is, why does my pizza company need to check my location when I don't even have the app open. Well, what's cool with Android 10 is the first time it does a location check when you have an app closed, it puts a notification in your notification drawer and says, hey, this app has pulled your location. You can go into settings and alter that. So for instance, I turned off the pizza delivery app location services. I set it to only when the app is open. There's three, there's three options. Let it run whenever it wants only when the application is open or basically block location services. And there's there's weird things that have gone and used location services in the background. And I've gone, why? This doesn't make sense. I'm not using you right now. Why does this vendor need to know where I am? And uh, in the words of Negan from The Walking Dead, I shut that expletive down <laughs> as soon as I could right there. I like it. And I think Android, excuse me, I think Apple has something roughly equivalent in how they uh, set up permissions for location services same three levels all the time, only when the app is open or never. But it's very nice to have. And it's very nice to kind of cut things out that shouldn't be doing that. And then consequently, potentially save some battery life because your GPS is firing off less often. I was so happy when this came up. This is so cool. Such a good feature. And I actually encourage people not to shut it all off right to start. I encourage people to leave it. Like, don't go in when you get Android 10 and change and block all your apps. I encourage you to leave it so you can see what these apps are doing, because that's been the fun part with me. Like, I have a parking app that several of the pay parkings around the city use the same company. And so I've got the parking app on there. So if I ever go and park, I don't have to use the stupid machine and get all of those weird, like, diseases that everybody's put on there. And so... This pulled, this pulled my location while I didn't have it open. And I'm like, why do you need to know where I am right now? I, and, you know, I like to theorize on why a parking company would want to know where I am at random times. I would like to theorize that 
they would like to know that I consistently go to the same place and, oh, look, I haven't paid for parking for a while or something like that. I I would like to theorize, but I wouldn't because I wouldn't want to step on that territory. But I shut it off. I Of course, I shut it off. I said only when the app's in the foreground, because obviously, if I'm going to use that when I go and open it up, I don't want to have to go and search for the specific parkade and go, is it this one or is it the one across the road? I want it to be able to use the GPS when I have it open and pinpoint me right to the right parkade. But I don't want it in the background. So I love this. It's really awesome. There's only been, a, I think, a few that have come up, actually, which has made me proud. There's only been a few that have come up. And overall, I've been like, okay, they make sense. For example, today, the, the actual Google Home one came up. And it needs to know that because there are routines and stuff in there. And if I ever want to go ahead and get into that where, you know, if I come home, it turns on my lights or whatever, I need to have that in there. Plus, it's Google. They've already got the information. I won't block Google on any of these because they're going to get it regardless. <laughs> It's fair. <laughs> now, why some of these do that, I think in some cases it's a combination of just lazy application development because there's a library to do a location and to basically ping every X number of minutes to get your location. I think some of it might actually be a perceived way to make the app work better for you, which is if it uses background location services, can actually pulls up your location. Like when you open your parking app, it doesn't take as long for it to find where you are in the city. So don't think that it's always like, something nefarious going on here as to why these companies or these apps are using location services in the background. Often it's something simple of they're trying to make the app work easier when you open it. So you're not going, it took 30 seconds for my parking app to figure out where I was or any other app like that. It's odd, actually. The thing that really surprised me is I installed, I sideloaded an app called Chris Farrell guarantees this is not spyware and it's pulling my location all the time. It's really weird all the time. Your GPS never turns off. The <laughs> uh, next thing that I really like actually within Android 10 here is a feature called Wi-Fi sharing. Now, I haven't had the ability to use this yet because I haven't had the need for it, but they've now added a thing where if you've got a Wi-Fi network saved, you can go ahead and pull up a QR code, which also will show the actual raw password if you need that. Um, but pull up a QR code so that if you have someone else that has an Android device and they want to connect to the Wi-Fi, all they got to do is go in on their device, click on, if they have Android 10, click on the Wi-Fi network. It'll ask them for the password. There's a little button there to go QR code. They hold their phone over your phone and boom, they're logged in. Away you go, which makes it a heck of a lot easier to use a better password on your network rather than just Chris's network one or something like that. Um, definitely makes it so that if you have a complex password, it's easier to share. And you also don't have to go through with the thing over and over. No, I said it was this. No, I said it was this. I said it was four, the number four, you know, like the whole explanation thing. So definitely um, can speed things up, especially if you have multiple devices that are running Android 10. This would be fantastic if you had multiple people in the house and you wanted to go and change your network password. It'd be a lot faster. I thought that was cool. It's it's a really neat feature. I don't like the fact they put the password in plain text right before, right below the QR yeah. code. But th whatever. I haven't had a chance to play with it myself. I saw that it popped up as a feature. I went, huh, that's kind of cool. But everyone who's going to need access to my network already has access to it. Or those that would, I'd be standing up a separate guest network for them, not necessarily my direct network where they can connect to my PCs or streaming media boxes. Yeah, I should probably really embrace my guest network. I have uh, 
I've shared my real network a few too many times as I tried to get my guest network properly working and it's working now. So I should go and lock that down. I don't want to, I don't want to change all my device passwords. <laughs> no, it's a pain in the butt, man. And I don't want to do it either. I did when I swapped over to my current Wi-Fi setup, I didn't have the ability to keep things in separate channels for 2.4 and 5 gigahertz. So I looked at what all my smart devices were on and most of them were on the 2.4 gigahertz network. So that's the network name I adopted for everything. So I had less devices to move over <laughs> network name wise. That's funny. <laughs> All right. What do you got next on your like list there, Chris Farrell? So what I like is I haven't run into any weird app issues yet where an application is not working as it should. Uh, for instance, when I upgraded to Android Pie, my Starbucks app was broken and I couldn't pay for Starbucks online. I couldn't place orders. It was jacked up. I had to uninstall and reinstall the app and then it worked sort of stably from that point. Now, it's a total first world problem. I fully acknowledge that. But none of the apps I use have had an issue or if I thought there might have been, they all had updates for Android 10 like within days of release. Like there's an application I use and it's not worthwhile enough or used enough by me to bring up for a Chris Taps that app, but it's for tracking uh, medication I have to take every day that I'm prescribed to remind me to take it at 5.30 in the morning. And because of the security changes they made to Android 10, this application is designed so that at 5.30, it automatically puts my phone screen, no matter what I'm doing, to a reminder screen that says, hey, don't forget to take your medicine. And then you hit confirm or deny or a snooze button, things like that. When Android 10 came out, it lost its permissions to overwrite anything on screen. So they pushed out an update like three or four days after 10 dropped that basically updated the app so that they could then use the correct permissions again to return it to the behavior Excuse me, that it had before. So... I've been pretty lucky in that most every app I use, I've had no issues with uh, upgrading or having a Android 10 workable version. I noticed that too, actually. I've had no issues at all. And yes, it, anybody that's been with Android for a while, and, and you've probably seen this a little bit on iOS as well, is when there is a major change, there's usually one or two stragglers. And I don't know, this time I've not run into that. The only thing that I did come across was um, there is a app that I use for network scanning. And I do that only if I'm like throwing an IP camera on the network, you know, I've been tinkering with those a little bit or other weird, um, internet of things, devices that don't always connect to the network properly at first, or I have to go in and get the admin so I can change the IP. And I love this app. It's called Fing, F-I-N-G. It works super well. And what's really nice about it is if you scanned your network, it keeps track of the devices and will tell you if it's offline because it does it by MAC address. So if like you've got your laptop on the network when it does a scan, shows you the IP address. And then if that laptop's off the next time it does a scan, it'll show it, but it's grayed out. Or if it's changed IP addresses, it'll show you sort of the history of it. Well, apparently in 10, it won't let you, it won't, Android won't let it fully keep track of the MAC addresses for some reason. And it said that they're working. I think what they do on the MAC addresses is they obscure or they present a virtual MAC address to any uh, Wi-Fi that is not your own or something. I'm, I'm trying to remember what I'd read in passing on the Eero subreddit, but this is a change with Android 10 where your MAC address is rarely, if ever, exposed on your devices now. Gotcha. And so that is obviously an issue that they're running into. And they've got a little note saying, do you want to track by IP address instead? So I don't really need the tracking feature because I only ever use it in these weird situations where I need to see everything that's on there so I can find this one device. So I don't need the history. But obviously, that's something that they're going to want to look into because it's a quite a popular app. 
Uh, next thing that I've got on here is all about notifications, actually. Um, I find that the notifications on the lock screen are actually easier to read when there's many. And I think this all comes down to them moving the location of the lock icon. Now, if you look at the home screen when it's locked, there's a little icon indicating it's locked. And when you go to unlock it, it usually um, shows the unlock logo or whatever. Well, they've now moved it to the top. It used to be on the bottom, and I don't know what it is about the top placement or if they've reduced the clock size or something, but I've noticed those are the kind of main changes. And I find like when I get a blast of notifications, it's easier for me on the lock screen to read it. I don't know why, but I, I used to find like at the end of the day when Chris has been messaging me, when SP has been messaging me, when Suncast has been sending his mistress to message me, I've, I've had troubles viewing all of those. And so I'm very, very happy to all of a sudden be able to easily see them. And I don't know specifically what it is that changed. Maybe it's dark mode. Dark mode made it easier. I don't know. They made it. it it's a bit easier to read. But while we're talking about uh, notifications, did you also like the fact that they now have silent notifications that show up in your notification drawer? I didn't even notice that. What is that? This is something I've started noticing that I love. There are certain notifications that are deemed silent. So like when someone likes a tweet of mine or retweets it, for some reason, I had those notif those push notifications still turned on. And it used to send a notification to my phone, make it buzz, and I'd go and look at it. Now, if you pull down the notification drawer, you have regular notifications. At the bottom, you have a separate category they call silent notifications, which are things that it thinks you might want to know about, but doesn't wake your screen or vibrate your phone. So it's kind of a subcategory of notification, something that doesn't require you to notice immediately, but you might want to know when you have a chance. So for, for conversation's sake, let me look on my phone and see what I have right now in my silent notifications. I have the weather bug that comes from the Google app, and I have some silent notifications from Twitter about people who quoted or replied to tweets of mine. Those are all things I don't need to know about immediately, but it's kind of nice to see as a silent notification and you can dismiss those just as you would any other notification. And then for comparison's sake, like uh, my Google Fit notifications, those aren't silent right now. So it'll make my phone buzz and bring it up on screen. Kind of a difference. I haven't quite figured out how to go in and recategorize what should be a silent notification and what shouldn't. That I'm kind of curious to figure out how to do because I think it'd be really great for more better refining your notifications because there's a lot of stuff I get on there that I probably don't care about notification wise and or it's just my phone buzzes so i'm like oh i have to look at this whereas i don't really need to look at it immediately it's something that might be cool to see later so toss in the silent side of the house i just looked at this when you mentioned that and if i hold on a notification a regular one it will actually say uh leave this as a a um alerting notification where it says gets your attention with sound or vibration or a silence so I don't know how you unsilence hmm. something, but if you look like if you uh, have something that's coming up as a regular and you hold it down, you can go ahead and move it over to that silent category. There's there's probably some settings somewhere for notifications where you can go through and recategorize what apps are allowed to do what. But it sounds like a nightmare to do, and I don't want to look at it right now. <laughs> and generally, most things I've silenced notifications for, I never want to turn it back on. I'll be honest. Well, it's interesting because as I look at this right now, it looks like it. it might be giving a broad category. Like if I hold down a messaging one here, it's giving me the the uh, name. I use wire. It's a messenger. But then the title, it says messages. And then if I look at one that I've got right here from YouTube that is saying that we're live on YouTube, 
it's actually giving me an overall header of live streams. So I don't know if you're silencing hmm. the whole category or just the app, but that'll be fun to play with. Definitely be fun to play with. I think so. What else do you like about it, Chris Farrell? Uh, switching apps seems a bit smoother now. It could just be because of how they've done the animation, but you just kind of scroll your thumb across that navigation pill at the bottom of the screen, and it makes it easier going back and forth. It's it's less jarring, more smooth. It's just, it's a minor little thing that it just could be, I like the new animation more. And the last thing I really liked, and I think this is one you and I are going to have different opinions on, is uh, this update doesn't seem to have impacted my battery life other than like the first day or so I had it where I I was probably playing with the phone more and trying to fine tune things. At this point, my battery life is probably the same or maybe just slightly better, which when it comes to Android updates, kind of a big deal because I remember back in the days of KitKat when it was time to upgrade to Lollipop, there was a lot of ooh people who early upgrade, they're seeing like 30% battery degradation because something weird was going on. This time it was, I looked on the subreddit for a half hour beforehand, went, well, no one's reporting battery issues fire in the hole and launched it off. And I haven't seen to have had any issues. Yeah. So let's go over to our dislikes. And that's going to take me over to my first dislikes, which is that for some reason, the battery life on my experience has been a little bit worse. Now, I'm going to probably do a reinstall or just really go in and check to see what's running and things like that, because I've heard that overall people are seeing an improvement or the same like you are. But I think there's probably a few of us who are encountering this and I don't know what it is. It's, it's kind of weird. And what's nice about Android, just get back to the nice side for a second, because it has to do with this, is there's actually a notification that comes up that is in the settings, which tells you if it recommends disabling an app because it's using high battery. And so I had that pop up for one of mine and I disabled the app, but it still didn't make a difference. So I'll probably do a reinstall and see, you know, if you look at any smart device, this is the first thing to try. I know people have seen it on Samsung's, on and on Google's, on iOS. People have seen this sort of thing before with any sort of um, a major update. It sometimes comes up and sometimes just reinstalling fixes it. So we will see. Uh, the other thing I wanted to mention that I don't particularly like is the new icon set for things like the Wi-Fi bars or the LTE. They went and they changed it so it's more of just like a general block. So you know how people always went, I have so many bars. Well, now it's just like essentially one solid meter. So if you picture like a Wi-Fi being one bar down, you can't see how many bars down because the amount that you have is pretty full. And I just find it's a little harder to tell how much I've got. How, how many bars do I have? I think they've ping-ponged back and forth different ways of handling that because at one point, I think it was split into bars. Another And another point before that, it was similar to what we have now. I think they just can't quite figure out based off material design or whatever design theming they have the correct way to portray it. Yeah. You, what do you think about it? I honestly hadn't noticed it much until you mentioned it right now. I went, oh yeah, that is a little different. So I didn't really think much of anything about it, to be honest, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and the last thing that I'll mention on my dislike list before I let Chris talk and I kind of chime in on one of his as well because it's on on the fence uh, with me is I don't like the dark mode on Chrome. I love dark mode, but they have not done a good job of differentiating between regular mode and porn mode. I mean, incognito mode on Chrome, because yeah. <laughs> those of you who used incognito mode on Chrome, which I actually use a ton for testing, because if you've ever done any web stuff at all, you know that having the ability to have private mode or incognito mode 
is a lifesaver when you're testing something. And I, I use it a ton for that sort of purpose. And the thing is, it used to be that dark that incognito was this dark gray and regular was was lighter. Well, when you have dark mode on, they look very, very similar. So it's a little bit frustrating if you want to tell the difference. And I did that. I actually was testing something. I think it was for the Geeks Live stream, actually. It was. It was for the polling for the Geeks Live stream. And I was in incognito to test it. And then I went and I'm like, why aren't my websites have me logged in? What's going on? And I realized I was in incognito, which had me logged out of everything and I wasn't in regular. So yeah. So for instance, watching live right now, well, there we go. Go to geek.com. You can see that's with dark mode. It gives you the dark taskbar at the top. And then if you go to uh, <coughs> porn mode, we'll <laughs> go to geek.com. Yeah. But porn mode's funnier to say. Uh, it looks almost exactly the same the <laughs> bar at the top so you don't exactly know easily if you're doing incognito mode the only way you can really tell is if you look to the left of the address bar you see a dude in a hat and glasses that is presumably incognito so that's sort of your way to tell but the, at a glance they look about the same yeah so just be careful when you're watching your porn <laughs> you might get your cookies tracked if you're not careful <laughs> <laughs> and make sure you're using all the legal sites not the illegal sites Ah, uh, the torrent right. thing. Call back Steven to the torrent Cam. thing. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do you got on your don't like list, Chris Farrell? So I'm going to save the one I know Steven wants to talk about to the last. I had a couple other things on there, and we'll go with some something trivial. When you pull the notification shade all the way down, on the bottom left-hand corner of it, there is some string of text, and what I assume it is showing me when I pull it all the way down is the build information for Android 10. So in my case, it's 10 parentheses QP1A dot and a series of numbers. And I just don't know why it's there. And it's a minor quibble, but I'm going, why do I need version info on my notification tray? If I really wanted to dig that out, I could dig into my settings and see it. So I could just be overly sensitive to the fact of this is different and I don't like it, but it just might be me. I don't have it. That's the weird thing is I don't have it. So, <laughs> so you've got to pull the notification tray down all the way. Mm -hmm. And then here it's on camera right now. You can see it at the bottom of the screen below my uh, mobile data. I don't have it. It's weird. Wow. That's weird. So weird. Wonder, there must be a way to turn it off that I don't know <laughs> then. And that's what I need to figure out, I guess. But I if you guys that, know that how, is annoying. That me. is annoying. That would be very annoying. Or it's a bug. Yeah. Maybe it's a bug we found. Maybe. Uh, uh, and a more lighthearted one. Damn it. No more candy names for Android. I'm really upset because it always used to be like Kit Kat, Pie, Lollipop, Android 10, which was cute. Well, whatever it was supposed to be. We didn't get a candy name. They have just gone to a numbered approach. So we've lost some of the fun lightheartedness that goes along with Android names. Is it a big deal? No. Is it really something I dislike? No, it's more something I'm just sad about and wanted to complain on the internet about. Fair enough. Fair enough. One last thing before I get to the thing that Steven really wants to talk about is there was a feature called ambient display in Android P and earlier that I really liked that if you had an OLED display, I thought was a fantastic feature. And the way that worked is if you had ambient display turned on, it would almost always show just the time on your phone and like a little line of text beneath or pictures that showed how many notifications you might've been missing. And then when you picked up your phone, it would just light up the notifications you had on screen, not loading your wallpaper or anything like that. 
That was called ambient display, and it used a lot less battery. It was an easy way to check your notifications without bringing up the full screen and making it go fully bright. They yanked ambient display out with Android 10 because they said, oh, not a lot of people were using it, I guess, is what I read. But I'm really, really bummed because I'm someone that used ambient display all the time. And it takes some getting used to now whenever you pick up your phone, if the screen actually notices, which doesn't always notice now for some reason, it just turns on the full screen. Oh, I have do not disturb on. That's why. But if Do Not Disturb is off and you pick up your phone, then it just brings up the full screen color and everything. And it's a bit more jarring. And I think it's just something I need to get used to. It's just probably me complaining because change is hard. You know, it's weird that not a lot of people were using that. I find that odd. I I feel like that might be an excuse on their part. Yeah, I guess it's a matter of how many people had OLED screens and then enabled it. Because it, it was not something enabled by default from what I recall. Fair enough. I used it too. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's talk about the last thing here. Chris is a solid no on this. I'm a, I'm a on the fence leaning towards no. So I'm a no, but that's because I haven't given it much of a chance yet is more of what it is because I'm a creature of habit, but it's been much talked about. They sort of dropped an initial example of it with Android Pie, but they are changing how navigation works in Android 10. The nice thing is you can revert back to the traditional way we've had uh, navigation working for multiple versions, a version very similar to what we had in Android P where you have navigation pill and just a background button, or you can go full on gestures with Android 10. And I haven't played with it, but for about 10, 15 minutes, I didn't really care for it because if you have like drawers, you would slide out from the left side of the screen. It was really hard to slide those drawers out. I found without it thinking you were trying to do a back action. Now, they've worked on that and tried to make it so it's like only the bottom two-thirds of the screen, where if you drag from, it will do the back action. But it just seems, I don't know. I'm sure iOS users had the same problem when they went to the gesture-based navigation with iOS. I just don't really like it yet because I'm a creature of habit and I'm used to what I have now, which ironically is the Android P version of navigation, not the traditional version everyone else is using, which has like, the recent apps button on the far right side of the screen. I've gotten used to not having that, but there's just something about not having a back button and it it bothers me and I don't know why. I agree 100%. And just for the people who aren't following what we're talking about here, so traditionally in Android, the way it's worked is because Android hasn't really used physical menu buttons. There's, unless somebody added a button to it like Samsung, There was always at the bottom part of your screen, there was three buttons. There was a back button, a middle button, which was usually for your menu, and then like a forward button. And sometimes that changed a little bit. It was dynamic because it was all on display. Little section of black at the bottom. So the Android P version that Chris is talking about is one that they kind of pared it down a little bit where you didn't have as many buttons and you kind of navigated through apps a little bit differently. This was something we actually talked about, I think, last year on the show or two years ago or whenever it was it came out. And we were both on the fence, but we both went through with it. And I think in the end, we both quite enjoyed it. Well, this one here gets rid of that black bar altogether. So there's no black bar at all. There's no back button. There's no menu button. And you're doing it all by gestures, meaning if you want to go ahead and access that app drawer, you go from the middle and you kind of drag up, it pulls it up. If you want to go back within an app, there's no back button. So you swipe from left to right, uh, which is awkward for those of you who use those apps. But you swipe from left to right to to go back. And that is what your back button is. And there's a few other random things in there. And I put this on and I tried. 
because I really like the concept of getting rid of that bar altogether because I have had multiple phones where burn-in has happened due to that, that menu being there all the time. But I can't get used to that back. I think there needs to be a different alternative to the, the back. I think everything else I could get used to, the app drawer, pulling up your recent apps, I think pretty much everything else I could get used to it was the back that I could not just because it was really awkward if I was in, like, let's say I was going down creeping Chris's Facebook profile. If I go he there, does. I do it all the time. So I go there and I start off by clicking on his profile. Then I go and I find his wife's account because I want to go ahead and creep her. And then I go and I find a picture of Chris and I go and I, and I open up that picture of Chris because again, I'm obsessed with Chris. Well, now I want to go back to Chris's main profile. So if I want to go back, usually I just hit the back button a few times. Well, now I got to swipe, go back to his wife's profile, swipe. Now I'm back there. So you have to swipe multiple times in order to go to, to do something that usually just one simple button would do. And it's hard. It's hard from a day-to-day -day perspective, especially that was all jokes, by the way. I wouldn't actually creep on Chris's profile, but it's an example on how someone who was going down the tree of things um, you know, whether it's social media or just browsing and wants to go back, it gets very old, very quick. And I'm going to give it another try. I turned it off. I went back to the Android P version. I will give it another try, but I think without a, an alternative to the back, I don't think it's going to stick. It's very, very tedious to swipe back all the time. Very tedious. It would drive me nuts. And I don't know, like I said, how iOS users adjusted to basically losing a home button on iOS. They've never had a back button that I can recall. So I guess that's just a muscle memory. They never had to evolve like Android users have to. And maybe that's where they were smarter with the iOS design decision originally is the only button they had was a home button. And maybe maybe it will make a little more sense once some app developers throw the back button back in because a lot of them removed the back button because it was in the, the core navigation. You know, like if you're browsing Chrome, you've got a back button right there on the desktop but you don't on Android because usually you use the back button and maybe that'll be what will happen. We'll see the back button in the software come back in and maybe that'll be the solve. Who knows? Maybe. But that's, I think, our list for Android 10, what we liked, what we didn't like, what we're kind of on the fence on. Uh, and I look forward to seeing what you think about Android 10. And just to recap a little bit here about some of the polls that we were running while we were talking about that, 100% of our live chat say that they do use Android. Uh, we had 67% say that they do use dark mode in some devices and 33% say that they don't. So yeah, lots of different people checking out the uh, dark mode. And we hope if you use dark mode, you're as excited as Chris and I were for this. But that's going to go ahead and take us towards the end of the show. Before we wrap up, I just want to remind you, we're part of the Gunna Geek Network. Lots of amazing geeky content on there. And sometimes you might even get a live stream in the middle of the week when you don't expect it. Chris Farrell, is there anything that you want to plug or promote? Perhaps that live stream? So, uh, yeah, what Steven's talking about there is normally I do a podcast called All Things Good and Nerdy that streams live on Sunday mornings at 11 a.m. This past week, I had a, another commitment during our live recording time. So my co-hosts, Anthony Bachman and the one and only Willie D. Nelson, not that other Willie Nelson you might be thinking of, we did a live stream on what Thursday at 9 p.m. Eastern, which we didn't really share a ton, but we put out there and people were able to join us and just had a little bit of fun. And we brought back a segment called Unprotected Advice with Willie Nelson, where Willie brings his life experience and stories to try and give lonely souls on the Internet or 
questioning souls on the internet, advice on how they should handle problems. So on top of the geeky news, we tried to change lives this week on the All Things Good and Nerdy podcast. By the way, the descriptor you were looking for was poor souls. Poor souls taking advice from Willie Nelson. They're so Willie D. <laughs> it's unprotected advice with Willie D. Nelson. Fair enough. Well, that's going to go ahead and wrap it up for episode 302 of the GunnaGeek.com show. I'm Stephen John Drew saying looking forward to having Michelle on next week so that we can talk all about this coming television season. I almost said series. That was really weird. I'm Chris Farrell, and I'm saying, Google, reconsider this whole getting rid of candy names. Come on. That's the only reason he switched was for the candy. That's the only reason he switched. He's going I back to I thought I got free candy. <laughs> Bye. Thanks for checking out another episode of the official GunnaGeek.com show. If you like the show, please give us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts or a thumbs up on YouTube. You can always join us for our live recording sessions, which stream Mondays at 8.45 p.m. Eastern at www.geeks.live. And remember, you can find our full back catalog at gunageek.com forward slash show. If you're itching for more geeky content, check out other shows on gunageeknetwork.com. Voice work was by Emily Prokop of the Story Behind podcast. That's it for this episode. We hope to see you back again next week.